Welcome to LOA Today. Walt Thiessen and Life Coach Tom Wells here. Today is Friday, May the 4th, 2018, 8 a.m. Eastern Time. Your first daily dose of happy for the day. And I'm off to a happy day today because it's my birthday. I'm celebrating my birthday oh, today. So, yeah. Happy birthday. So it's a combination man. of birthday and Friday all on the same day. I mean, how often do you get that? You know, it's not, not yeah, this, that common a, an event. Good, yeah. TGIF. That's TGIF. Right. <laughs> well, thank you very Friday much. Friday birthday. That's right. Yes. So, and we're off to a nice day with the weather. I like to comment on the weather. Today's a beautiful day. It looks like it's shaping mm-hmm. up to be a gorgeous day. So, I'm going to I'm going to mm-hmm. be out there. I don't know if it'll be on a bike or on a path or walking or what, but I guarantee I'm going to be out there. So, well, that's good. Yeah. It's, Is everything blossoming and blooming? It, it's beginning to. Yeah. Quite a bit. I mean, it Louise is and I, here usually. Is yeah. it? Yeah. Louise Almost I, all the trees are coming out. Louise and I were commenting on it yesterday. We were out. Um, we actually went out to dinner, and while we're driving along, she made the comment, "Wow, everything is just greening right up," and it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and we've got all those trees putting out all their blossoms. You know, the white blossoms and the pink blossoms and the rose-colored blossoms. Um, beautiful when trees do that. And I do love it in New England for that because it greens up in the spring. And then unless it's a really dry year, which is unusual around here, it stays green right through the summer. So mm-hmm. when the earlier it greens up, the better, because that means you get a longer period of greenness in nature. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. really nice, too. We like that a lot. Yeah. Beautiful. So how you been? How, I mean, since we talked on Monday, how's your week been going? Oh, it's been quite adventuresome um adventuresome. Been, <laughs> well you know i've i've been i was really at odds about whether i was going to join this um training program that teaches me how to create group coaching programs no oh. and i want to start coaching groups because i i've worked with groups a whole lot of my life and i and ran communities and things and i feel a real affinity for facilitating the group so that everybody gets a chance to contribute and but it's also a, a group way for coaching to take place and for teaching about the law of attraction to take place in that group. And mm-hmm. so that's a, it's a nice way for me to teach and it's a great way to have clients that makes a schedule. That's not quite as cumbersome. You know, you're not responding to clients all day long, every day. Um, yeah. When you're doing groups, you can oh, I work know. with a whole bunch of people at once. I, I know when Louise was still in practice as a therapist, she loved doing groups. That was her favorite thing to do. So I can totally understand because, I mean, you, you basically get to work with a bunch of people at once instead of just one person at a time. Certainly, one at a time is great for somebody who needs that private attention. But from the, the facilitator's point of view, from the therapist's point of view or the coach's point of view, that's a, a lot more fun to work with a group of people. Yeah. I just like being in groups. I like being interacting with a number of people and it's a little bit more lighthearted often than the heaviness that can happen one-on-one when people are really struggling with their problem. Right. Which happens to be the topic of today's. It uh, is. Yes. I wonder if one influenced the other, but yeah, we're talking about uh, the, basically the feel good side or the feel bad side. And which is it going to be? <laughs> that's really what it well, boils down to, but that's yeah, not, that's not quite the, kind of comes down to that, but it's, it's a little broader discussion. It is. I think, Pretty, pretty broad discussion that you could probably have for weeks on end on this topic. <laughs> well, you, you'll probably do a better job introducing it than I did. So why don't you go ahead and tell us what it's about. <laughs> well, okay. And we didn't get to hear yet about how your week went. But um, this topic is about 
you know, do you want to choose or how is it that you deal with fear and then struggling and fighting to have what you want in your life or against something that is threatening to you or that you want to see happen? Or do you work in the realm of alignment and relaxing into into a level of trust and allowing the universe, you might say life, to orchestrate solutions, you know. So it's it's sort of like the question of do you focus on the problem or do you focus on the solution? But I came to this topic today because of concerns I've had. Um, I have a number of friends who are activists, and I've been in a number of groups in the past of activists. And um, one group in the particular, we went to the rainforest and spent time with the Ashwar Indians in the middle of the Ecuadorian rainforest. Mm. And these people were all facilitators of the symposium called Awakening the Dream or Changing the Dream, which was about, you know, how the the Ashwar Indians are a dream culture. And they say that the North, in their dreams, they're, they're getting this message that the North, the people from the North, which would be, you know, Americans, Europeans, are um, dreaming a dream that's killing the earth. And they so they sent out a request in the dream time that, um, that we would change our dream. And that was picked up by some people in San Francisco who then went down and, and, and they were led to the Ashwar through magic, you know, through serendipity and, you know, law of attraction. They were led to these Ashwar Indians who then they had conferences with who, and so now they've been fighting ever since um, against the, um, the oil companies that want to uh, exploit the Amazon by putting in more and more oil wells throughout the whole Amazon. And, and, um, and then against all of the different um, things in the world that are, you know, that people feel they need to fight against in order to stop the destruction of the world. And so the awakening the dream or changing the dream is about creating a new dream about how we as humans can really live in harmony with the earth in a really beautiful way. So, and, and how is it working out for them? I mean, do they feel like they're making progress or do they feel like they're, they're uh, falling behind? It's or? sort of one of those um, ongoing struggles mm -hmm. that you know, a lot of struggles are, you know, which is that we will never give up the fight kind of thing. And, wow. and there's, there's victories and then there's defeats and there's victories and defeats. And that's what's going on in Ecuador. Um, but, in that particular instance, but this organization addresses, you know, they, they, they have this symposium that I used to teach. It's like, it can be as long as six hours long. It usually was three or four hours long, but you team teach it with other people. And it's to basically show people that, yeah, we have all these problems, but how can we dream a new dream about us living together in cooperative communities where we take care of the earth and we take care of each other? You know, the obvious utopian dream, you might say of, how can we live in harmony here on the earth without having to have these massive uh, disruptions, apparent disruptions? And so today's topic was because everyone was reporting in in a recent email that happened with all these people who went to the rainforest where they were saying how they, they're fighting in this capacity and they're fighting in that capacity. And, you know, there was a lot of the word fighting and struggle and the resistance efforts and, the, um, you know, what needs to be done to save the world, you know, to fix the world and save the world and to save humanity. And these are all really amazing people who are all in their own ways 
taking a stand somewhere to fight for justice, to fight for what's right, you know, for the environment or for people. And they don't all just use the word fight over and over again or struggle. They're, I'm sure they're all in varying degrees of um, of ease about it and varying mm-hmm. degrees of resistance go, sure. going on. Yeah, that's part so of the I course. thought it was just an interesting topic because whether it has to do with our health, our relationships, or our, our wealth, you know, our careers, um, politics, you know, <laughs> all the different causes that are out there, the environment, you know, where do we, how, how do we feel about it? You know, and what do we do about that? Um, you know, where, where do you draw a line and take a stand and, and how do you also finesse being so in love with life and so at ease with trusting that there is a greater power that's at work here so it's a matter of that question of can you be in both worlds? Can you be in the world of struggle and in the world of relaxing and alignment? Or you, well, know, you, the, you drew an interesting you drew an interesting line there, or well, actually, it included the word line. You said uh, drawing a line, and mm-hmm. drawing a line usually refers to the cliche drawing a line in the sand. Drawing mm-hmm. a line in the sand is basically about saying, "I dare you to cross. If you do, it, you're going to really regret it." Yeah. And that that's like that's the beginning of confrontation and fighting. So mm-hmm. just from the moment that that they're talking about drawing a line is the moment that they're starting the fight. The problem is they don't probably think of that as starting a fight. Right. And, you know, I don't know that that many people who would consider them activists or environmentalists are the ones who feel that they're drawing the line. Um, although in a sense, they they, they they need to, uh, or they feel they must. Look at the situation that just happened with the European Union finally banning all neonicotinoids, um, which is a huge thing that just happened, I think, yesterday. I don't know if you heard about that. but I did not, it, no. It means that, that you're, the European Union is finally taking a stand to say that, you know, we will not continue to kill bees, you know, like with these poisons that we're not going to allow them to be in our environment in the Europe, in the European countries. And therefore um, the bees, according to science, will have a chance to, to thrive once again and really survive. And so they'll be able to pollinate our food and flowers and everything. And the United States has not been willing to take that stand at all. Um, so we continue to see massive bee die offs and they're probably going to begin to see massive bee resurgences if it's all, if all the science is true. And of course, the law of attraction, of course, is at work here. <laughs> yeah. It's funny how that works too. <laughs> well, it's, it's the main thing working really. It really and that's is. The, so that's the question, you know, um, cause I looked at it and I read some of the reports of the organizations that have been fighting uh, against all the different companies like Bayer and Monsanto who are bringing all these poisons into the environment. And then the countries who, who's, uh, you know, governmental bodies were not taking a stand. They were not saying that we're going to do, you know, that we're going to ban these things. We're, you know, we're, they were working with the chemical companies and allowing these things into their countries. And then one by one, this one organization of Oz went around and to every single governmental agency in the European union. And for years has been fighting, struggling, um, doing conscious actions to get these, 
countries to change their stance and has finally succeeded. And this was a report telling what they did in each country and how they fought against, you know, the, the, uh, the mentality of the administration or worked with the mentality of the administration of these, these governments to get them to one by one, each agree that uh, they had to ban neonicotinoids and, and this massive triumph now has ensued. So it brought me back again to that question of like all my friends who went to the rainforest with me and worked in that organization to change the dream. And then all this work being done all around the world constantly for all these different causes, like, like to save the bees. Um, and that, and there's always this question for me of, okay, so where, where do I decide to draw a line or to say, I'm not going, I'm going to, take a stand um, and say no to some, to somebody or to some others to say, no, you can't do that. You know, I'm sorry, you can't do that. Um, and then to focus on the solution. So, but, uh, so where, where are you? I mean, you, you described this as being, this? well, where, where are you thinking about it is what I'm asking. Um, you, you described how you are, personally processing this and how you're, you're trying to decide, okay, where do I stand in this? Where, where, what's my, mm-hmm. what position do I take in this? Because you feel like that you have two different worlds pulling you in two different directions, so to speak. I, I see my friends and, and these kind of people who are doing this work um, as activists. I see them taking stands and saying, there's no other way, but to take a definite stand and go for what you believe in and let others know it's not okay to do things that destroy our water, or destroy our bees or destroy our air or whatever it is. And so my question is, I've decided to use law of attraction mainly for everything in my life, whether it's a health issue or a wealth issue or relationship issue or an activism issue. I want to align instead with what does it feel like for me to be part of the solution? Mm-hmm. And okay. what does it feel for me to to not get upset and worried about something, but instead say, you know, say, I'm going to go for trusting that the universe is designed in this amazing way that if I align with the same energy that causes the planets to spin, you know, in perfect proximity to each other and causes the seasons to turn and all these things, you know, with the, are, are there not these energies that are that are actually determining everything that are different than being caught up in this struggle idea. Mm-hmm. Oh. And so I want to be an advocate for that way of, of thinking. And yet in doing that, you know, I sometimes feel weird that, well, I'm not a fighter, you know, I'm a, I don't, I don't even want to think in terms of a fight. I want to think in terms of alignment with higher energy. Mm-hmm. You know, the energy that, that gives me life, I want to align with that energy. And that energy is the thing that brings out every bud on every tree in the springtime. I mean, I was looking at the trees coming alive the other day and thinking, and I went up and looked really closely at a bunch of these little buds, and they're just works of wonder, you know, amazing, beautiful. And to think that that tree is putting out 10,000 of those or however many, you know, like at once. And, and every little flower is just this delicate, beautiful thing that's coming alive on that tree. And it's like, well, there's a power that's so amazing in nature 
And isn't that the same power that keeps the bees alive and that, and that causes, you know, good to happen in the world? Um, is there a place to fight? I'm, I don't know. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's the topic of today because okay. I, I felt like it is very tricky for my consciousness to wrap my head around the whole thing and to, and then to deal with friends who look at me like I'm a pariah. I almost feel like, because like when I told that group of people in these email exchange that I was no longer taking a stand to fight against things, boy, that, that put a big dose of cold water on those emails that were bouncing around all about all the good that everyone was doing by being a fighter and an activist. So, <laughs> Well, it's sometimes difficult to take a, a, a stand based on what you believe where that stand is not about fighting, but rather about refusing to be somebody who pushes back, who pushes and pushes and pushes. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, that we know that that's as um, students of the law of attraction and of how deliberate creation works. We know that pushing actually doesn't really work. We like to think it does sometimes as human beings. But as uh, law of attraction students, we know that's just not the way the universe works. The universe is an attraction universe. It's not a pushing universe. So yeah. pu pushing isn't going to do anything that produces the kind of result that we have in mind. And it may not even do anything at all. Um, I mean, as you were describing that. I was kind of reflecting back to my days, my own political um, aspect of myself from years gone by when, when I came from the libertarian camp. And mm -hmm. the, one, the one lesson that I, I carried over, so to speak, from that experience to where I am now as a student of the law of attraction is that whenever a group of people get together and produce what seems to them to be a positive result, like this great victory in the European Union, I noted that over time, it didn't matter what the issue was, didn't matter who the group was, didn't matter what the nature of the victory was, just that they, they saw it as a victory. Over time, those victories almost universally turned out not to be the victories that they, that they thought they were. And I'm not saying what, that I know what's going to happen in this case. I have no idea what's going to happen in this case. I just know I kept seeing that pattern over and over and over and over and over again, repeatedly throughout history. So for me, that was one of the ways that made it easy for me to adopt the idea that pushing doesn't really help, just by under, my understanding of how the political process tends to work. That doesn't help you at all. I just throw that out there to say that that's how I'm looking at it. Um, but you're in a different case. You're, you're a different space because you were part of that activist community. So that that's... I can see how that's a kind of difficult place to, to be in. And when you're in that place, you want, you want to maintain your friendships. You want to maintain, um, you know, the happiness with them and so forth. The, yeah. only other, the only thing I can think of that comes to the top of my head here is something that came up in a different context. I think it was in yesterday's show with Wendy. I may be wrong about that. But we were talking about how the most important thing we ever really can do is rather than trying to um, make someone behave a certain way, we're always better off if we simply provide ourselves as a model. I think, yeah, I think it was with Wendy. We were talking about a section from the book, The Law of Attraction, The Basics of the Teachings of Abraham. And that particular section was about something like, how do you, you know, it, when is it a good idea to try to convince somebody else about how the law of attraction works? That, that's not what the topic was, but it was that kind of a general idea. 
Mm-hmm. And the answer that Abraham gave back was, well, it's really never a good idea because ultimately every time that you're doing something like that, your argument is you're, you're, you're creating uh, the proof, so to speak, is a form of pushing and pushing doesn't produce the kind of result that you hope for. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're better off being a model, uh, uh, a sort of a you know somebody uh, set, setting the tone and setting the the representative behavior just through the way you are rather than trying to talk somebody into something and that that may be something appropriate for you in this case i don't know well i think i think what's appropriate is that you it is fine to take a stand i mean if 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 in taking that stand you're simply asserting what you believe in and what you know is right in your way that you look at life, you know, like to me, it, it, it is very right to um, mention, to tell others that it's not, it's not appropriate to be poisoning the bees. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not appropriate to be poisoning our food supply with glycosphate. And, you know, it's just not appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, well, just like you would tell your child, you know, that, you know, it's really not okay that you cut your sister's hair off. Uh, or, you know, whatever, <laughs> you're not appropriate to set the cat on fire. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, whatever. <laughs> but, but there's, there's times where we just, you know, really need to, you know, it, it's not really, I don't think of it so much as pushback. I think there's this, there's this belief in out there that, that the, it's the pushback and the struggle that it's, that is such a huge part of it, but it is actually really, maybe the thing that caused the bees, the whole situation to change in the European union might not be so much the pushing as it was setting the example of what it means to be stewards of the earth. And enough of those government administrators heard the message from these activists that, you know, we need to be better stewards of the earth. We can't let the bees uh, disappear. It's not, it's not appropriate. We know that they're needed and that they're an important part of the ecosystem. So, you know, it, in a way, that position, that vibration is could be a really healthy vibration, you know, um, if, if that's being communicated. And maybe when things change, they change more like civil rights ending or apartheid ending or the Berlin Wall coming down, as we've mentioned, I mentioned in another podcast, you know, did that dominantly happen from the pushing against or from the uh, understandings that evolved between the the two sides that, okay, we need to just to have peace around this. We need to have uh, cooperation. And so they started putting their vibration into the things that worked better, the things that seemed to have a better outcome that felt better. You know, they started to go with what felt better. And I think that's really probably how change happens. I have to mention as an aside, when you were talking about it, telling the kids that it's not a good idea to set the cat on fire, my cat was sitting next to me at that moment, looking at me as if to say, what are you doing talking about putting a cat on fire? Okay, well, that's cat's got the right. It's got the right. We shouldn't use those words. <laughs> it was meant as a humorous thing, but it isn't no, funny at all. Not it's from hard. her point of view, it isn't? No. No, it's not funny. So a real good law of attraction coach would actually say, Think of a think of a th- example that's okay. You can. It's appropriate to tell your children <laughs> not to go out. You know, you can't say go out in front of the car because that puts an image of something really grotesque in your mind. What can you say? I mean, <laughs> well, if, if what you're trying to do is teach a child, I think what you do is turn it around by um, saying what you saying, want them to do. What yeah, what 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 what's, what's the preferred behavior? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
you know, Snuffy, Snuffy, your cat doesn't, your Snuffy, your cat really likes it when you're sweet to her. <laughs> when when her you pet her. This. Yeah. Pet her. See, she's what you listen to her purr. Oh, that's what you want to do with Snuffy. Plus, there aren't, there, there aren't all that many kids, I think, that just on their own through no impetus, through no influence in, in society, wants to go out and just burn the hair of cats. No. That's not no, really their yeah. first thought. You know? <laughs> yeah. But I did things like that when I was a kid sometimes, and I wondered what motivated me. You know, like I, I must have been reflecting some broader image I was getting from the society of, of violence or something, you know, because I did kind of some mean things sometimes when I was a kid. Um, to insects and things, you know, but I, I feel bad about it. Well, it's but good. I it's can, a good thing to look at. I have to say, it's a good thing to examine yeah. at some point. Not that it has to be a high priority on the list, but yeah, I think it'd be worth looking at. Why? Why would you want to do that? Because there, there probably was some sort of impetus, something from I don't know, from your environment, from uh, you know, your family, yeah, family. school, you know, a frustration going thing. on. Yeah, something. Yeah, there's probably something like that. The the thing that always occurred to me, even um, when I was involved in, in political stuff, was the example thing, the role thing really does, the role model thing really does work more effectively, I think. And I, mm -hmm. I understood that before I understood law of attraction. From what I see, whenever a role model behaves like a role model, no argument is needed. It's not like mm -hmm. you, the, the role model goes around saying, well, this is the way you should be behaving. They, they, that's just yeah. not what role models do. <laughs> yeah. You know, un unless they're forced to buy a Wheaties commercial. But, you know, other than that, they just don't tend to do that. They don't tend to think that way, you know. Yeah. So a role model is somebody who just simply behaves the way that they want other people to behave. They just they, they lead by example, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And I, I noticed that. Those people who would take on stuff that would normally be considered to be within the political realm, but they would go at it in a more private way where they just they would behave the way they wanted to see more people behave. Those mm. organizations were the ones that produced the most lasting results I found. Mm. Um, so, for instance, let's see, can I think of an example? Um, well, Nature Conservancy. Um, well, yeah, that's a good one. Sure. They, 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 they set the example of let's ask people who care about nature to preserve more of it yeah. and keep it in a, in a more pristine condition. And so they, by buying up so much, then they, you know, create an environment that, um, right. Yeah. Sort of an excessive example of how we can um, be better stewards of the earth. Whereas Greenpeace or some of these other organizations, their main thing is to get in people's face and make such a, uh, a ruckus that people take notice. Mm -hmm. And um, like this organization of as was saying, that's how they got these leaders and, and people to take notices because they did demonstrations all over Europe. Now they showed pictures of some of those demonstrations and there was a lot of smiling faces and people dressed in bee costumes and they had their giant mascot that was like 20 feet high of this giant bee and they would take it everywhere and it would always get media attention and everything. So, so there's some positivity way, going on. That's good. There were, in a way, there was a lot of fun. You know, I'm sure that those people had, and it was probably that fun and that that good energy to let's you know let's get out there and and see that people understand that this matters. Um, that could be the dominant vibration. In which case, the dominant vibration isn't, you know, 
hey, you people, I hate you all. You're killing the bees. We, you know, we, we hate you. You know, you have to stop doing that. You know, the, I noticed that a lot of my friends now express a lot of hatred towards the current administration and people in the current administration. And it always makes me cringe because I feel like, well, if you're in that place, is that really helpful? You know, and yet they feel like so justified in it. Like if I would say that to them, and I think I have said that on a couple occasions and they get back sort of like, Oh dude, you know, in this situation, man, I'm so justified to say whatever I want about that major, you know, effing, you know, a hole, you know I mean? Mm -hmm. They just go on and on and it's like, okay. And then I just, I just almost just say, okay, I don't want to be part of this particular way of thinking and being because somehow it's not part of the solution. That's, that's more like feeding the problem. Well, and you mentioned the nature conservancy. Um, there's a favorite movie of ours. Louise and I like to watch called Miss Potter, the story mm-hmm. of Beatrix Potter, who was the creator and author of the Peter Rabbit series of books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that comes out of the movie is that Beatrix Potter when she was a, a young lady and, and she produced her first Peter Rabbit book and it really took off like crazy, um, within a couple of books or so, she had amassed quite a fortune and ended up buying property in what is known in the United Kingdom as the Lake District, which is south of London. Um, and there's a lot of um, finger-type lakes, thin lakes, um, that are you know, a very popular uh, getaway spot, particularly for those who have the means to go buy those properties, right? Well, mm-hmm. Beatrix Potter... Back in the early 20th century, by early meaning like the 1900s, not only did she buy her property, she bought up a whole bunch of property. She brought up about bought up about 4,000 acres of property, Mm -hmm. all of which were land that um, developers were trying to buy up so that they could develop it and you know create housing projects and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And there was a nascent um, resistance, so to speak. I I hesitate to call that because that's not the way she treated it. But there were a number of people who were rallying against, you know, all this terrible development going on. Well, she just said, I'm not going to rally against it. I'm just going to buy a property. She bought 4,000 acres of it, preserved it um, as the farming type uh, uh, land that it was. And to this mm-hmm. day, it, it exists in that state. Yeah. Now, of all the, all the people who were activists at that particular point in time, can I point to any of the people who didn't do the kind of thing that she did, who just were you know, rallying and complaining and all that? Can I point to what anything that they did that actually produced a result that is still around today? No, I can't. Mm-hmm. But her action is around today. It yeah. continued 100 years plus later on. So for me, that like is, is the evidence that I need that says it's setting the role model, it's setting the example that's much more effective than all the, the fish shaking in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm sure that, that, that we could probably, in very short order, find a whole bunch of people who would like to argue otherwise in terms of, you know, that, that really all these people who fight for causes do something of great value and that it, they do play a really important role and that, you know, you can't, um, you can't argue against that. And, you know, you just did argue against it, and I understand what you're saying. Well, because, actually, I'm not even trying to argue against it. I'm trying no, to demonstrate. I'm trying to demonstrate what works. Yeah, yeah. I understand. Now I understand. they're they're I in a, they're in a, they're in a struggle mentality, so they're going to see that as an argument against. I'm not presenting it as an argument against. Right. And I'm right. not even going to think of it as an argument against. I mean, right. literally, that's not the way I think about it at all. I think of it as here's what works. It works beautifully. Yeah. Oh, I understand what you're saying. And that's no, all I think I, about. I agree. 
Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, that's why. So when they're when they're going to come back to me, I mean, I understand what you mean. They're going to come back and they're going to say they're going to make their argument. Oh, well, I can prove to you this, that, and the other thing. I'm not trying mm-hmm. to. I'm not trying to get into an argument here. So I'm yeah. not going to buy into what they're saying. Yeah, they, they can come at me like that all they want to, and I'm just not going to buy into it. I'm sorry, I just won't do that. You know, I I, I understand where you guys are coming from, but hey, I just can't buy into it. I'm sorry. You can mm-hmm. argue all you want. It's just not going to work with me. Because I just don't buy into it. Right. Because I don't buy into arguing. Yeah, yeah. Um, this the it's just the whole question about like for example, I had a teacher from India for many years, and he used to say, you know, if you get a cancer diagnosis, says don't don't you know like uh, give up. Said fight against it, fight and fight and fight and fight. It's what he said, and it was like at the time. I said, oh, right on, you know, yeah, you know, that's what, if I get a cancer diagnosis, I'm going to fight and fight and fight and fight. And, um, you know, I, now I look at it and I go, that's not very good advice. I don't think if I, if I had a, a, some kind of diagnosis of some kind of disease, I don't want to think of it as fighting. I want to think of it align, 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 align with my higher self and what is how does it feel in my body to feel ease and trust and love and possibility and hopefulness and, um, you know, just enjoyment of life? Because to me, that would be, well, then all my cells are, you know, I'm giving the message to align with my higher self and that that will be a, 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 and I wouldn't doubt that you could get many case uh, histories of people who, beat cancer or beat some other terminal illness um, or something really debilitating illness by their um, improving their better attitude, you know, getting their, I agree. their mind, getting their mind and emotions in a place where they're more um, enthusiastic about life. They, and, and, and sometimes in the process, they overcome a literal um, ancestral familial pattern that has produced that condition in many of their relatives who had died from it in the past. And we, then we call that a hereditary disease, but in reality mm-hmm. yep. it's an emotional mental pattern, a morphic field that a person can change by law of attraction. They can begin to focus on a new morphic field, a new, you could say brain pattern that forms new, you know, synapse connections in the, in the brain that's one way of looking at it, but you know, it's a mental emotional state, right? I like the example too of, of, of the people who want to fight cancer and they, they're going to fight this to the end and so forth. And interestingly mm-hmm. enough, when you look at the track record of the people who declare they're going to fight this disease that they've encountered and compared to the track record of those who aren't interested in fighting, they're just interested in surviving and living a good life and, and you know, living a happy life. The, uh, this is where the, the starkness truly is stark. There's a gigantic difference. Not that you can't find examples of people who said they're going to fight their way. One example I can think of is Magic Johnson. But I would also point out Magic Johnson is a bit of an exception because he's one of the most positive people on the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he is just a happy, happy, happy guy. And I remember back in, what was it, 1990, 91, something like that, when he announced he had HIV. And wow. all the reporters were saying they thought they were going to watch this one magnificent athlete shrivel up and die in front of them. 
And right. he, was, he was with a very happy, he had a smile on his face the day he announced it. And it, was a difficult, right. it was a difficult day for him, but he was still smiling like he always does. And he says, you know, I'm going to be around here for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. Now, he did use mm-hmm. the word fight. He's going to fight this thing. But most yeah. of what he said was about, I'm going to be around for years and years. This is, I'm going to win this thing. I'm going to use all the resources I need to find to do this. And guess what? He's still alive. Yeah. But if you look also at many, 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 many examples of other people who came up against cancer or some dread disease, and they said they're going to fight it, how many of them perished is just mm-hmm. astonishing to me. Mm-hmm. I, but if you also talk to and, and, and look at the people who are the survivors who have survived and, and you get to know them, and I've, I've spent time doing that. I've interviewed some of them here on the podcast, particularly in the first couple of years of the podcast. Overwhelmingly, their attitude isn't about fighting it. Their attitude is about how joyous life is, how mm-hmm. excited they are about being life alive, and, and how their particular affliction kind of was a wake up call for them. You know, they, you never really know how long life is going to be. So why not live it to the fullest? Why not get excited and say, you know what, really, I really appreciate being here? And they're the ones who survive. Mm-hmm. So I think the proof is really in the pudding for something like that. Yeah, it it's just the whole question and whether it's any issue um like I don't have enough money, I um I've got a problem with my spouse, I've got a problem with my own mind, you know, like do we take an attitude of uh you know that what do I do about this problem? I it's really difficult. I'm afraid of what's going to happen. It looks like things aren't going to work out. Things, you know, I could easily see how this could turn into a disaster. Um, just all these different, or maybe they already feel it's, it is a disaster. Um, I mean, I just had a client recently contact me who I'd worked with in the past and who said that, you know, he was feeling, um, you know, this stuff coming back of his being haunted by his need to change his career and have, make more money. And, and, you know, he was, he said he was spiraling down and I, and I just wrote back, you know, that that's that's a focus you're creating. You know, you're creating a focus on that. And so you're telling yourself that's what's happening and you're noticing it happening more. And you're telling yourself this isn't good and I don't like this and I really hate this situation. I've been stuck in this situation for a long, long time. And, you know, why isn't it working out better for me? And and then all of that just exacerbates the situation. And so how do you how do you get into that place where, you know, the other side of the equation is can you relax and can you trust and can you allow and can you focus on, okay, what is it that you want? You want increased income and you want a better working situation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, can you begin to just, number one, believe it's possible again and then begin to go back up that spiral mm-hmm. in the sense of convincing yourself every day, every moment that it's every moment's a brand new start. Every, every day is filled with new possibilities. It isn't just set in stone. It only is if you keep thinking it is, you know, so it's, it's only a problem and an intractable problem when we keep thinking it is, and we keep focusing on all the aspects of the problem. That's true. That's very true. um, I, I think at some point too, you have to decide which way do you want to go? Because because ultimately, I mean, I think this is why the whole argumentation thing doesn't really work. Argumentation can only work if somebody is already in agreement with you. Have you ever noticed that? That if if the person that you're talking to, like you, you were just uh, hypothetically talking about somebody who had written to you about all these bad things that were happening to you, right. to, th- to that person, right? 
Mm-hmm. And the the instant thought that I'm sure occurred to you, I know it occurred to me, was, okay, do you want to change your mindset? Yeah. It sounds to me like you don't want to, hypothetical person. When you're writing to me all this stuff, you're, you're basically telling me all the reasons why you don't want to change your mindset. Now, you tried to say to him, well, you can change your mindset. It's up to you. Do you want yeah. to change your mindset or don't you? If you don't want to change your mindset, then you can pretty much uh, assume that all these terrible things are going to continue to happen. On the other hand, if you're willing to change your mindset, you can turn things around. Which way is it going to be? But ultimately, you can't make that decision for him. I can't make that decision for him. None of us can make the decision for him. He's the only one who can make that decision. He's got to decide. Does he want to stay on the path he's on? Or is he willing to do what it takes to turn it around? Yeah, and, and that's where, you know, in a coaching situation, it's so important that the person, whether they're coaching themselves or working with a coach or a psychotherapist or whatever, that they they find, you know, what lights them up, you know, like mm. what, what would be the difference between them finally giving up a pattern of fear, you know, cause I noticed that in my life when, when, when I start to look at situations in my life that I feel are threatening, it's just how much can I not feed the fear and how much can I feed the hope? How much can I feed the belief in possibility? And it's a, Again, as we've said in many podcasts, it's the old muscle we've exercised for so much of our life is the one that's that revolves around the fear and the struggle aspect of things. You know, the 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 feeling that um, this is threatening. I I better sh- make shore up my defenses against it, or I better um, run away from it, or I be- or I freeze because I don't know what to do about it. So you know, they t- they teach in psychology. You know, that people either go into flight freeze or fear i mean mm. flight freeze or what's the other one i said or flee mm-hmm. Fright. No. Anyway. <laughs> there's too many f's <laughs> too many s's too many um, but, but i um but i realize that it's it's for me and it, it just has to come into this place of saying you know i'm going to take an entirely new stance on my life i'm going to just take a stance of of discovering how I am resourced in this situation, in the face of this contrast, I'm going to find the resource to, to take a stand for my own um, trust and to relax into the fact that life is resilient and life unfolds possibilities. When I believe that life unfolds possibilities, life hands me, wealth when i believe that wealth is in my vortex when i believe that that health is in my vortex when i believe that the right relationship is in my vortex or that the right president or the right environmental you know the the health of the bees is in my vortex and i and i'm so sure in that health of the bees and the health of the planet and the health of my body that i that i take a stand there you know i i believe in that and it's so many people say, you know, well, it's not belief. You have to know it. And in a way, I guess we do come to a place where we, we, we kind of know it. We, we know we can't go into the other way of looking at it. Right. Well, the question I would ask them is if it's not belief, it's what, you know, where do they think no comes from? Well, that it's just intrinsically within us, which is sort of true. I mean, I mean, like when you, when you have ultimate faith in what's in your vortex, you're, that you're ultimately trusting that, you know, there is such a thing as almost like you could say, um, I don't want to use the word perfection, but there, 
there there is such a thing that good dominates fear you know that that's ultimately the the earth is designed or maybe all the creation is designed so that the light is really the dominant thing you know the possibility the hope the faith the love the inspiration the peace of mind these are the things that are really the dominant um, energy that causes a tree to spring into bloom that causes the planet to spin you know that all these things that are happening that are working out all the cells in our body working in such beautiful harmony that's the dominant energy of the universe and this this thing that says there there is disease and there is destruction and breakdown and devastation if that that gets a lot of power only when we give it a lot of power Exactly. Well, that, that's why I asked my question about, you know, what, what's, why is it that it's not belief, it's knowing? What, how, what is it that makes you know? And the reason I asked that question is knowing and believing are actually very closely tied together. You really can't separate them. Knowing comes first through belief. You, you mm -hmm. establish the belief and, and the evidence accumulates to the point where you say, well, yeah, I know. It, yeah. You know, it, it, it doesn't just out out of nothingness and say here it is it's a thing to know <laughs> it's not the way stuff works <laughs> yeah so really well, guess, the, the two are very very closely entwined and, and anyone who says I well it's not about are. yeah i mean anyone I, who I says otherwise like I'm, I'm wondering where they're coming from because that's why i asked my question if if they really believe that want and belief are not connected then where does want where does knowing come from i don't i don't and i don't know if it I'm, I can't, you don't even know who I'm really talking for. <laughs> it's probably my own. Well, it could be, yeah. <laughs> that I'm just reflecting, which is, you know, and then it shows up in other people speaking to me, but there is a bodily knowing, you know, and a lot of people in the therapy world today talk about, you know, you, you know, in your body, in your intuition, your, your, in your heart, you know, these things, you don't need to have a belief in your head you know, there's a there's a feeling in you of what congruity feels like, of what harmony feels like, of what mm. peace feels like, of yeah. what, you know, and that's a knowing that's in your body. And a lot of therapy, you know, ask a person to tap into that. You know, they say, drop into your body, drop into your heart and, and feel what feels good to you in this situation and then do what feels good to you. And that's where it's different than believing it's, it's feeling your way, you know, and Abraham talks about that a lot. And a lot of people in the whole world of self, you know, personal growth talk about, you know, you, you only really get the true changes in your life by feeling your way into those changes and feeling what, well, I understand what they're saying. I think they're actually kind of missing the boat a little bit. And the mm -hmm. reason I say that is I don't know of any feelings that exist without an associated thought. Mm -hmm. There's always a thought associated with a feeling. I, I can't yeah, ever yeah. think of a situation where there was not a thought involved. Well, yeah. thoughts are where beliefs come from. Mm -hmm. Abraham teaches it very clearly. A, a belief is a thought you keep thinking over and over again. Yeah. So you, it's really not possible to have a feeling that is not tied to a belief. It's not possible <laughs> to have a feeling that is not tied to a thought. They, they, yeah. they really are inseparable. And those who are mm -hmm. saying, well, you just have to feel their way. It doesn't matter about belief or thought or anything like that. They're kind of missing the boat because the only way you can feel is through a thought or a belief process. Yeah, I've, I've heard it said both ways and by many different people. I know Abraham often, they were asked, well, how can a little 
baby have have a thought you know the baby just has it's what it's feeling um and then abraham said you're not doing, no you're not giving enough credit to the baby if you're, if you're saying that's that. what that's what abraham said yeah said, no you know we, we all actually have this you could call it a mental function but it, it, it's whatever thinking is you know thinking is a very interesting thing when when you think about it <laughs> yeah, it's true <laughs> it's also funny <laughs> <laughs> well Right. I mean, it's like, what is it? It's like this constant dialogue in a sense that's going on. And yet it, it is totally associated with knowing it's totally associated with feeling. Um, you know, you can have a thought and immediately can generate a feeling. You can change your thought and you can change your feeling. Um, you know, I used to say when I was going through my major life change from my dark night of the soul into getting really tremendously happy again, I used to say, I'm choosing to feel good. And I'm just choosing that feeling as much as I can throughout my entire day. And I still have that as a bottom line in my life, but it's, how do you choose to feel good? You know? Um, and I sort of think that that's, well, I just do it. I just somehow, I somehow have just made the decision that I'm going to feel good. And therefore anything that comes up, I don't buy into it. If it takes me into feeling bad, you know, I mean, not, not that I don't, I do sometimes, but, uh, you know what I'm saying? It's it's is is that a thought or is it is it just a choice to be in a feeling place? And of course, there's thoughts associated with that. I guess it does depend on how you define the word thought. But then again, I go back to what I said earlier. Can you describe a feeling that exists independently of a thought? That there is no thought under any circumstance associated with that feeling? Because mm -hmm. I don't think you can do that. Not really. I mean, if, if somebody can show me how they can do that, okay, I'm willing to listen to it, but I can't imagine a way to do that. Yeah. Well, I know people who go into ecstatic states, and in those ecstatic states, they say, there is no thought. It, it, I'm completely being run by the chi that's flowing in my body. This life force is what I'm experiencing, and it isn't it isn't a thinking event. It's a, it's a life force experience, you know. And when they come out of that experience and they're describing it, do they associate their experience in any way with thoughts? Because if they do, the, then the association is there. Even if they weren't making the association at the time, the association yeah. still exists. Yeah. That, that's the they, problem with that position. They, they see, see, no. what's, see, here's what's yeah. happening. Here's what's happening. <laughs> the person who's taking that position, who's saying, it's just happening to me, they're basically saying, I am in kind of a nice way, a victim of it. It is outside of my control. It ha I have no input into it whatsoever. And yeah. the, the thing that I think is misleading about that is, well, where's it coming from? You say it's your chi. Well, law of attraction, people would say it's your inner being. There's mm -hmm. really not a whole lot of difference there. It's your life force. No. Right. Okay, well, force. if it's coming from your life force, then guess what? It's coming from you. If it's coming from you, then yes, your thoughts do matter. So they're saying, well, I'm not actually thinking anything at the time. Well, actually, your inner being is thinking something. That's where you're getting the message from. Yeah, yeah, you could say it that way. I mean, Abraham talks about, you know, like how important it is to do meditation. And I notice they increasingly talk about how important it is to do meditation. And, and the reason they say, I've listened to this many, many times, is they say, you need to get to the place where you slow your thoughts down to where they they've even said i think I, i've noticed this where they where your thoughts stop you know where they no longer exist and when you're in that place then you can really feel what it feels like to be in alignment with your higher self source self mm -hmm. yeah. and so you know there's many yogis and mystics and people who would say 
I believe that, and I've heard, seems like I've heard this a lot of times, you know, that there, there is this state beyond thought, you know, I mean, I've also, the teacher I had for 40 years in meditation used to say, there isn't, your thoughts never stop. You just get to the place where you don't put your focus on them. I think perhaps what we're talking about here is the difference between physical thought and inner being thought. Yeah, sure. You don't have to be having a physical thought at the time. I've experienced that too. We've experienced it here on the podcast where stuff just kind of comes to us and we're basically, you know, stuff's coming out of our mouths and we're wondering where is it going to go, right? Yeah, that's what this is. <laughs> yeah, well, that that happens a lot. Does that mean that there's no thought with it? No, there's definitely thought with it. It's just that I haven't physically thought it through, but my inner being is thinking it. That's where the message is coming from. Well, that's a real important distinction right there. You know, it, your inner being is thinking it. And, you know, that's, that's where you could say, you know, like, well, the, the, uh, the yogi went into samadhi and he, and he reached enlightenment. Well, you could also say his inner being thought himself into the state of who he really is, his real self, you know, and his real self is thought. I mean, if you say, well, what is it when I die? What, what goes on and what came into this body when I, when I came here, you could argue, well, it's thought it, mm -hmm. it's, it's, you could call it chi, you could call it kundalini, you could call it soul, you could call it breath, or whatever, spirit, you know, but it's, what is it? You could say it is the thought of God, you know, it's the thought of the infinite, it's the thought, right? Yeah, so if they're going to insist that uh, when they're in that enlightened state, that, that heightened state, that they're not having any thoughts, what they're really saying is, I am in some sense divorced from my inner being, because I don't want to be associated with those thoughts uh, that... Uh, that I have in some way had. I don't want to. I don't want to say I had that thought, and so therefore I'm not really including my inner being as part of who I am. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of people say there's no I, but that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, this person that I've spent a lot of time with, you know, she's constantly saying there is no I. You know, and it's it's a it's sort of a playground for me to 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 talk with her in you know when it appropriate is because it's like okay who's saying there's no i you know um yeah i mean if there's no i there's no who and then i just heard you say i eight times you know i mean it's sort of like is it a is it an intellectual distinction that she's making in her head or is there is she really experiencing there's no i and if so what's that like uh, uh you know i'd like to know um because it's you know, that's supposedly the enlightened state, according to many spiritual traditions, is when the, you there is no ego any longer. You're, you're in this place where you just are source energy. You are source, you know. And I'm, I certainly aspire to know more and more how I can just be this source energy, you know. Yeah, I, I, I think they're actually denying a portion of what, what they're they're uh, touting. They're, they're touting being this place of source energy. And they're trying to treat that source energy as if it is not thought. They're trying to pretend that source energy is not thought-based. It is thought-based. Everything we know about it is thought that it's thought-based. But they're trying to pretend, no, 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 there's not actual thought going on there. It's just pure energy. That's all it is. They're divorcing themselves from it, in a sense. I don't know. You know, I mean, when people have these near-death experiences or uh, an experience on an amazing, um, like, DMT or ayahuasca or you know psilocybin or peyote what's you know is that a thought experience i mean 
you know, you'd have to have that experience to then come back and say, were you, were you in thought the whole time? I mean, you know, as you, you know, and, and of course I've had some of those experiences, not, not very many, but I would say I was in thought the whole time. <laughs> well, I, like I, I say, I can see how somebody would come through a, an experience like that and come to the conclusion that they were not in thought. I, I can understand that. I, I mean, I had my own experimental thing with, with drugs, so I can, I have some sense of, you know, what, what that's like, but by the same token, I still think what they're doing is they're trying to justify an experience in terms of them not being in it. Mm. Because like you said, they want there there is no I in their view. There's no ego that's involved. So that means and they aren't really they, they aren't really do, there. I mean well, why would they want to do that? I, I think it's actually a, a way of well what are drugs for? Drugs mainly are for numbing pain. Any drug no matter what it is, even in a, a, a psychosilic type thing, a, a psychotropic type drug is a drug that ultimately numbs pain. It takes pain away, and in the process, they have this what they feel is a cool experience. But it's still the, the the root of it is the numbing pain. That's why people take drugs. They want to numb some pain from their current reality. And almost any therapist will tell you that they're they're trying they to numb also, pain. A lot of people do those kind of things because they want to explore other realms. Well, sure. I, one doesn't preclude the other, but but the one is always at the root of it. There, oh. you, you you don't ever run into somebody who wants to explore one of those realms who isn't also interested in numbing pain. You don't find um, somebody who just says, "I want to explore it because I'm feeling great." But you know what? This is going to be fun to explore. You don't find people who do that. Oh, I don't agree with that. No, I think. Oh no, I I never I ran into like... anyone in my life where I was involved with any kind of drug culture where at the root of it they were trying to they they weren't trying to numb pain. They may have even tried to perhaps say they were, but you could just tell from the, from what, what's going on in their lives, they had large amounts of pain. Even if they were denying it, it was still there. Hmm. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I feel like there's people that just are adventure adventurers and they, they don't necessarily do it. I mean, I don't know. You yeah. Know, I, I, every person I can think, I can think of people who are adventure. I, I can think of those possible. people. I can think of people who went on ventures like that. They, I remember they, they were the ones who wanted me to come along too. Every single one of them had pain. Did they all acknowledge the pain? No, not necessarily. But I knew for sure every one of them had pain going on. It was really clear to me. It may not have been clear to themselves, but it was definitely clear to an outsider. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, well, I, I definitely know a lot of people who do a lot of that kind of stuff who are in tremendous pain, and they're using it as their psychotherapy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, and it's been touted as that, um, that you know, you get more of one journey on ayahuasca than you do out of a, a year's worth of psychotherapy, you know, or 10 years worth. Some people have said, you know, because of course, <laughs> psych psychotherapy, talking psychotherapy could go on for a long, long time. And this and is true. Produce yeah. changes that could happen in one. Exactly true. Yeah, very true. Yeah. I see we're out of time. We are out of time. Unfortunately, it's been a good discussion. Um, maybe we'll pick, pick it up again and talk about it on, on Monday. Or we pick Maybe. up a new topic. I don't know, but anyway, thanks for bringing it up. It's been it's been very worth exploring. Yeah, it has. I and do. before we leave, how does somebody reach out to you if they want to have a little more personal exploration? I offer a free coaching session of an hour if anyone wants one, and they can go to my website, which is youarejoy dot com y o u a r e j o y dot com, and the sign up there for a free session. All right, sounds good. Tom, it's been a pleasure. Let's talk again on Monday. Okay, let's and do it. All right, and we'll invite you all back next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.